Welcome to the podcast, Cleary Independent, coming to you from Melbourne, Australia. I'm Phil Cleary, writer, broadcaster, former footballer and one-time independent member of the federal parliament. Back in 1990, I was calling VFA football and it was the big grand final at Princess Park. Williamstown, one of the oldest sides in Australia, was playing Springvale. And the game reached a crescendo in the dying minutes. And this is what happened. Boisil oh, steals it, gets one high, breaks clear, shoots it, goal, and it's pulled through. 26 oh, minutes gone. Adopted club Williamstown. This is unbelievable. I can't believe really hard to imagine that it's all happened. Springvale seen at the game one. What a kick! What a kick for Bill Swan. What a hit! What scenes as Williamstown in one of the greatest grand finals played in the oldest football competition in Australia. And Barry Round takes them to the Premiership Cup after consecutive losses. What an incredible goal that was by Bill Swan in the 1990 VFA Grand Final. And today, Bill Swan joins me in the studio. And alongside him is his son, Dane Swan, who in a stellar 258-game career with Collingwood, played in the 2010 Premiership, won the 2011 Brownlow, won two Anzac Day medals and collected three Best and Fairest awards. As for the old man, he played 302 games in the VFA, played in four Premierships with Port Melbourne, won two Listons, and then collected a Premiership medal with Williamstown. So, Bill Swan, let's start with that Premiership winning goal at the Carlton Football Ground in 1990. What do you remember about it? Oh, it's a bit surreal, Phil, really. You know, it's a long time ago, mate. I have seen that a few times <laughs> over the past, what, 30 it's years? It's from the half-back line now. <laughs> yeah. It just gets further and further back every year. <laughs> and everyone... Um, Doubted that I could kick the footy that far. But anyway, it was funny because you played probably played a bit of Princess Park as well, Phil. It's downhill that end, mate. Um, <laughs> so it was, I kicked it from right on the 50-metre line. But really, it, because it's downhill, it's probably only 45. So I must say, Peter G's call, I think, was absolutely brilliant. And it was quite ironic that I said, what a kick for Bill Swan, what a kick for Bill Swan words to that effect and Peter G said what a hit what a hit as you put the ball onto your boot as it propelled through the air and then Peter G went to the oldest club in the oldest competition it was just a brilliant call and we saw pictures of Barry Round but over to you Dane uh, you're a boy at the time you're six years of age you're born in the February of 1984 but you weren't there to see the old man. No, I'm not sure I have much of a say in it, mate. I was six, so um, I'm not sure why they didn't tell me. I would imagine just because knowing I've played in, obviously, grand finals and that myself and the last game of the year, they probably wanted me out of the house 
so they could celebrate. So they didn't have to deal with me for the next couple of days or the next week. So, um, yeah, I wasn't there. Uh, but I like that. I have seen it a million times. Um, did he? Did he force you to watch it at, when you got back in the in the weeks after the game? Were you watching it? Basically, it was my night time. Instead of reading me a book to bed, that's what I got. <laughs> I got the last couple of minutes of that. Um, well, I'll tell you something a little funny. Four years later, Johnny Murphy, the former Carlton and South Melbourne player, the father of Mark Murphy, was coaching Box Hill, and they got rolled at your old ground, Victoria Park, by Sandringham coached by Trevor Barker and Mark Murphy was at the game as a boy and he went from end to end watching the game slip away in the last bit from his father. That's no no good. That obviously pulled the right rein then and uh, sent me out of there, sent me packing. So so let's just wind the clock back a little bit. Um, Dane, West Meadows was your club. I I know it well because I've had a little bit of a role in the EDFL in recent times because I've had two sons playing after my VFA uh, and VFL commentary days, etc. Tell us about West Meadows. Uh, The club, yeah, they they were good. It's all I've ever known. Um, Obviously, from Broadmeadows to West Meadows, so... Um, was, went down there about 10, I think. They wouldn't They wouldn't let me play any earlier. So I was too small or they didn't want me getting hurt, maybe? Uh, well, just didn't want you to start at seven seven years of age, you know, play yeah. something else. So, yeah, 10. So basketball, I played basketball before that, I think. Yeah, basketball. Um, <coughs> they went well, well, just on that, Bill, were you worried about Dane getting injured? Were you a father who was a bit worried about your, oh, your boy's safety? Not really worried, but, you know, there was... I didn't like a lot of kids who start playing at six and seven years of age. I thought there's plenty of time, you know, yeah. play basketball. That that was okay. Um, they put me into dancing, <laughs> that like gymnastics. Tried yeah. everything, mate. Well, well, tell you what, Dane. This is ironic because I had the two boys after having two girls with my first wife, and Christine had the boys do soccer. And I never stepped in and said, no, I want them to play footy. And in fact, I thought, I've had this long football career and I don't mind if they do something else. Mm. And even now I worry about the game being dangerous. But um, anyway, you went on to footy. Yeah. And <coughs> tell us, were you any good? No, not really. Well, that'll probably tell you more. But, you know, the first best and fairest over one was at Collingwood in 2008. <coughs> Um, oh well, oh, I did win one in my first year under tens, but I won it in the in the B side. So, you know, I wasn't good enough to to make you know the ones, you know, if you will. So, um, no, I wasn't. I was. I wouldn't say Dad probably answer this better, but I wasn't awesome. But I wasn't yeah. horrible. I was just always in the middle somewhere. And Dad, he can obviously answer this himself. But says I just improved every year from the age of ten up until you know twenty six, twenty seven, twenty eight. And before you step in, Bill, I'll tell you this. That when I was calling the VFL on the ABC and you appeared with Williamstown, I looked at you and I thought, how interesting. I'd played against your dad, fantastic player, beautifully balanced, great hip movement, you know, beautiful kicker of the ball, not a long kick but precision. And you had a wobble about yeah, you. I didn't and get I the thought, kicking from dad, that's for sure. I, yeah. I thought this wobble, is he? But then at the same time, you had this wobble, but you still had a nice mm. balance. You stayed on your feet. And I thought, I wonder, is he going to be like his dad? So I'm looking at it with your images of your old man looking at you as you emerge. So, Bill, tell us. <clears throat> oh, look, what were you seeing? He was always a, a, a good junior, like under 10s and that, yeah, he was, you know, one of the better players, no doubt. Um, but then 
when he was bottom age and the top age kids, he was probably, you know, middle of the road then. But as Dane said, every year he got a little bit better. Um, and by the time he was like 15, probably playing in under 16s, look, he was, he was definitely the best player in the team. But it, I think his last year under 16s, he kicked 90-odd goals. Mm. So he used to play like centre forward. But he always had a really good pair of hands. He could always mark the footy. And very rarely got beat one on one. So that year he should have kicked under goals by the a mile. But you know when you're playing sides that are they're, and they're flogging them, you know the coach moves you up to the back line and all that sort of stuff. So but you robbed he, me, robbed me of a hundred. Yeah. So he just yeah. um, just improved every year. But I think I said to you the other day, Phil, I watched him play one day. He played against Luke Ball, probably about fifteen, I reckon. And I watch Luke Ball and I'm thinking, Jesus, you know. You could just look at Luke Ball and you knew that he was going to play AFL footy. He was very tidy, Luke Ball, in my opinion. You know, everything very, about him was good. Very everything good. was good. I was doing the old kick it to him and then he'd yeah. kick it to someone and then they'd wait for him to go up the field, then they'd <laughs> yeah. kick it back to him. So it was just, he was a monster. It's funny, Dane, because Billy and I played against his old man. Mm. He was playing with Caulfield. Oh. And I actually played at Caulfield one day. I think I had a good game. I think I kicked a few <laughs> on a TV game and his old man was playing in the side. But let's just wind back now to, to your early days. So we talk about uh, Dane at West Meadows. But there are you, Bill. You've come out of that legendary Port Melbourne circle. Mm-hmm. You know, the 70s from right through. It's a, it's a phenomenal era that you're in. And you're also, you're a, the son of a Wolfie. Yep. You're living in Port Melbourne. It's a... It's a tribal setting, isn't it? It's yeah. ferocious. Give us a sense of what it was like. Look, I grew up in the Housing Commission flats in Port, which for me, as because I moved in there when I was, I think, three years of age, uh, it was a really good, really good place to grow up. Heaps of kids, all Anglo-Saxon, like from England, mm. Scotland, Ireland, all, you know, $10 immigrants coming out. Um, Actually, where we are now, this used to be the the hostel where they all used to stay. Um, so it was a really good environment because there was heaps of kids. You know, you used to kick the footy in the middle of the um, the they used to have a flat where we used to kick the paper footy. You know, wrap up the old Herald Sun and yeah. kick the footy. They would, kids wouldn't do that now, yeah, mate. And we did that in North yeah. Coburg, just <laughs> north of the Pentridge Prison, where yeah. I used to kick the ball and down on the plains of the Merry yeah. Creek. Yes. So look, it was a really good um, place to grow up, Port. Heap of kids. Um, used to, I used to play footy there, played basketball there, um, all that sort of stuff. How would you explain, though, the 76 VFA grand final? And, Dane, do you know about the 76 grand final? No, I don't know. Then I want to know if Port was such a great <laughs> spot to grow up. Why did I get moved to West Manos to grow up then? We'll come back to that in one second, Dane, because it's an answer he should provide you with. Mm, Broad Manos, yeah, from Port to Broadley. You went to one of a club that had a great history, Collingwood. Yep. Victoria Park was a place you didn't want to be at if you are a Carlton supporter like me in the late 60s and 70s. But, Bill... Take Dane to the 76 grand final. I mean, here we are, 30,000 people, Dane, at the Junction Oval roundabout. Amazing television game. Dandy Nong have got a full forward called Frosty Miller who played AFL football. And there's Port Melbourne. And in that second quarter, wasn't it? Fred Cook, funnily enough, you kicked the ball out of the middle. It bounced. Fred Cook grabbed it. He just paddled it through the goals and bang, what happened? Well... 
the first blue cookie made was grabbing that footy, mate. He should have just let it go through. Yeah, you would have had the goal. Yeah, it was my goal. But anyway, that's that was cookie. Um, look, he kicked that goal, and the the thing was, we kicked with the win the first quarter, and I forget how far in front we were, but we we're in front. Quarter time, the wind changed, so we kicked with the wind the second quarter. Yeah, yeah. So. We were a fair way in front, so Cook just kicked that goal and Alan Harp uh, Alan Harper just king hit him. Mm. Um, and Sneak Goat him, just king hit him and He was a mess. Yeah, and he, obviously his, his, face his face was cut to pieces. So yeah. take us into the rooms at half time. Cookie's being stitched up by the female doctor, Lynn, Lynn Madden. Madden. Yeah. Um, well before half time, because after that happened, um, Cookie never went off the ground. No. Um, mm. nowadays he be out for free works with <laughs> concussion but so he stayed on the ground and then probably five minutes later there was a boundary throw in norm brown norm brown's running in to contest the boundary throw and alan harper's walked past and just gone whack and king hit him too <laughs> and brownie's gone down in like a but actually i think he went off the ground at half time because colby came on but um and then it was on and buster broke Alan Harper's jaw, and um, Tony Hayden got reported for hitting the umpire. <laughs> <laughs> so and, and, and Georgie Allen King hit Pat Flattery, Pat Patty Flattery. Flattery up the other end. It was Patty Flattery was like me. He was just a gentle, ge yeah, gentle player, beautiful left player. footer. Yeah. Dane, he, he mm. was he was a glider, yeah. lovely player, and wouldn't hurt a flea. <laughs> and George said, "Sorry, Pat, it's dog eat dog," <laughs> and just King hit him. Yeah. So the. The runners were punching on. And <laughs> it was, it was, yeah, it was on. How long did the game to settle down? Well, the second quarter went for about 45 minutes. Yeah, it did. <laughs> and yeah. then after half time, the ground. Oh, after half time, it was quite normal. But yeah. it needs to be uh, said also that Alan Harper, who whacked Fred Cook, had grown up in a very tough uh, environment. And I was out speaking recently, and one of his cousins came up and spoke to me. And I'd said, I'd said I played on Harper one day and he stood a metre behind me and it was terrifying. The year after he clocked Fred Cook, she came up to me and said, I'm his cousin, I'll tell him that. And I said, oh, thank you very much. So, really wild days. Uh, Dane, you haven't seen any of that vision, I suppose, have you? No, uh, no I don't think so. No. Have you heard of it? Has your dad talked to you about I, it? I know a little bit about... I know yeah. a bit about Port back in the old days. It's very, obviously, a very tough uh, standard of footy, especially Port with all the... Mm. Um, heads used to roll around Port back in the day. It was um, a very tough standard of footy and a lot of tough people down there too. But I suppose your earliest memories of being at Williamstown when your dad was playing, you know, the 90 grand final and he went till 93. So you, you went, he used to yeah. take you to training. Yeah, so obviously I remember more about Willie than I do about Port because one, I wasn't alive when, yeah. that, when that was at Port. <laughs> um, so it'd be hard for me to remember that. But yeah, um, as a kid, I was probably... You know, if I was 15, 16, you know, 15, 16, I probably would have sat down and watched a bit more. But, you know, as a seven, eight, nine-year-old, just you're running around trying to see what trouble you can cause behind the grandstands and running around with all the other kids and and trying to get into some mischief. So I remember, I certainly remember being there and, um, you know, getting soup and stuff. And I think uh, the old Ronnie was serving, ended up serving me soup. Um, yeah. He was still there for ages. It, like when I got down to Willie in the Collingwood twos, he was serving me soup after um, after training and, and I was getting soup for training when Dad was training down there. So he was down there a long time. But, yeah, it was um, it was freezing down there. I remember that. Um, geez, it didn't get much – didn't get warm during the winter and the wind was horrendous. But, um, yeah, th those are probably my earliest memories of Dad playing footy for sure. And just on my – while you ended up in Broadmeadow or West Meadows, Dane, 
So we lived in, as I said, we lived in the commission flat. So in them days, you you wanted to get your own house. <coughs> so we had, and you had to apply for a house, and you had to wait, and all that sort of stuff. So we had, in the end, we got a house, and we had, I think, four choices. We could go to Laverton, Frankston, Broadmeadows, or Garden City. Where's Garden City? Just down the road here. Yeah. Oh, okay. Port, yeah, okay. Port Melbourne. Yeah. So my mum, in her wisdom, wanted to get out of Port to get my old man out of the pubs because he used to, you know, I used to have to go and dream him out of the pub at <laughs> six o'clock on a Friday night to go and get the fish and chips and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, she wanted to get out of Port. Plus I had family out of Broadmeadows. Um, so we decided to move to Broadmeadows and I reckon the old man would have been uh, kicking himself that we never went to Garden City because... <laughs> In Bourgeois. Yeah, exactly. In Garden City now, it's like Munez Road down there. So, um, but that's why we just had, you know, my mum wanted to get out of the flats and have our own home. It's fascinating when you look at father-son situations. I'm just looking at some names, you know. Uh, we had the Hudsons, Silvani, the Ablets, and here we have the Swans. And it's quite remarkable, like when you look at your totality of games and the premiership with Dane, of course, AFL top end and five premierships for yourself and Liston's and, and the like and best and fairest at the club. Do you ever sort of reflect on this, Bill, about you kind of how lucky in a way you were? You have your son and, and it couldn't have been better in terms of a footy story, mm. could it? Well, I suppose it is, Phil, but uh, when you're talking about the Hudson's and that's sort of top end, mate. I was yes. I was never good enough to play um, or VFL footy back in the days. But as a footy story, it's, oh, yeah, still, yeah. it's still pretty amazing. And you and you produce a boy who goes on and does what Dane did. Yeah, well, see, my career pales into signif yeah. insignificance compared to Dane. Well, you left Carlton, didn't you? Well, yeah. Yeah, which is, well, which is a great decision because if you had played 100 games <laughs> yeah. for them, I would have been father, son to them. So well, made I, a great decision. And, and saying just on that, like right, Bill, Bill didn't play AFL, but look, everyone knows what a phenomenal player yeah. he was. And I, my opinion, he could have played yeah, AFL. The, the, the VFA back then was, was you could argue, just as strong sometimes. Like, you know, a lot of Fred Cook could have went there, but he left because they bought him money. a house or something. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So the money was still strong there. So Exactly. He, Fred Cook played 33 yeah. games before he was 21 mm. with Footscray. But tell me, uh, Dane... You as the boy, the son, and you, you've you've got this father who's got a legendary VFA uh, status, etc. What did you think as your journey began to develop and your history? Did it did it did you reflect on it? Um, yeah, yeah, a little bit, I guess. As a kid, you know, you don't know, you know, you just you all you know them as, as mum and dad. You don't know really basically what they do. You just know they're there and they cook you dinner, and you know they're there all the time. So. Uh, you don't really understand what they've done, and obviously you knew they play footy. But for all I knew, you could have been playing at West Meadows, you know, because you just you just don't know the significance or, um, you know, the magnitude of, of what he'd done. So obviously, um, once I start to get a little bit older, and you start to you know have your own brain and start to think for yourself, yeah. And then um, when I got drafted, and before I was getting drafted, it was the the son of you know Bill Swan. So you start to Understand, you know, he's got the league record for the most games ever played in it, in the, which will never be broken because, you know, the VFL is not in a good shape now. So um, that'll never be broken. You know, two listens. You know, he's got me on most things. Two listens, more, five BNFs. I only got three. He's got two listens. I only got one Brownlow. 
five premierships, I only got one. So he's got me on most things. So, um, you know, to play 300 games anywhere, you have to have a fairly good career. And to play it in a league, you know, you could argue, you know, was at some point in time was just as strong as the AFL or the whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's pretty remarkable. So tell us about your dad, Bill Swan, the Port Melbourne hero and Williamstown premiership star, uh, talking you through football. As your football emerged, what sort of conversations did you have? Um, not a, a little bit, but he, dad was never dad was never one to. I think he applied for the West Meadows coaching job one stage <laughs> and got got knocked back uh, for for a local guy down there. Um, Politics, film. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but not a lot. Dad was never one to come and grab me a quarter time and go. You know, fuck what he what he wants you to do. This is all about you. You know, I was always just listen to your coaches and and deal with, and you know just do what you need to do. It was never will come and grab me and say pull me away from the huddle and go, mate. We need you to go and get your own kicks or do this and do that. It was never quite a lot of that. Yeah, he take me across the park and and made me you know when I have kicked the kick, then he try and get me a kick on my left foot and I'd, I'd miss my foot, so I'd have an, I'd crack the shits and have enough of that. So we'd storm back home and as you would probably know with that, he doesn't say a lot, but when he says something, you know you sort of. Yeah. You listen to it, so that's kind of what that was like. He didn't say a lot, but but when 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 he said something, you sort of listen. That all makes sense to me, Dane, because uh, it, having known Bill for as long as I have, you know, like it's got forty odd, 50 years nearly. That's the kind of bloke he is, very kind of circumspect, but uh, speaks when he's got something to say. Yeah. And so, Bill, what's your reflection on what you were trying to do with Dane? You liked, like I took my son down the park one time and. Because it was a bit of a wobbly kick, I forced him to drop the ball correctly. Because <laughs> I wished I'd dropped it better. Uh, what were you doing with Dane? Yeah, probably just probably what Dane said. I used to um, we used to just go across the road to the park and across the road and just kick the footy. I'd try and make sure he kicked it to where I was and all, all that sort of stuff. I did try to get him to kick on his left foot without much success, Phil. <laughs> but um, and I used to take him down the cricket nets when he played cricket. Didn't play cricket for very long and. You know, do all that sort of stuff with him. Just most things that fathers would do with their sons. Anyway, because my father never really did that with me. Really? Um, no, not. I can't remember him ever kicking a footy with me because he, he was working on the wharf. He was working Saturdays and Sundays and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I never had the, really the luxury of, of that. So... I'm not sure I was a great pupil. I remember one day Dad was yelling at me from the boundary and I sat down and stuck my fingers in my ears while, while the game was... Yeah, so... Um, that wouldn't surprise people <laughs> who kind of have a rough sense of your personality. Yeah, game. so um, I'm not sure I was a great student. Yeah. What, what, about, what about Mum, Deidre? Nah, she's got no idea, Phil. Did, did she have any interest in you doing football, Dane? She had interest in me once I started playing on the MCG. I wanted <laughs> to start getting all the bloody social events. Absolutely, did she? she did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Had a big, <laughs> big interest when I made it on the MCG. Let me tell you, uh, she used to go. She used to go like every when he was a kid. He'd always yeah. go and watch. But I certainly get my sporting ability from no, mother. Let me tell she's you, she's got no. She's never ever been a sports person, or she doesn't like. She wouldn't. Yeah, go and watch a game of footy. She'll go to the footy now, but go in the super box and yeah. You have a you have a daughter, yeah, name Bonnie, yeah. Bonnie, who's a bit academic, isn't yeah. she? She um, studied political science. At yeah, school. she. So so you don't sort of you don't sort of stump up as like some old port style family. <laughs> Deidre doesn't strike me as a, 
you know, one of those screaming, yelling, <laughs> terrifying port women. What no, was she, she not. like that, Bill? Uh, Jane? No, 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 no not, not particularly. No, no. She. Um, actually, where, where did you Where did you come across Deidre? Then you didn't find her down on the docks. Broad Meadows, mate. She's a Broad Meadows girl. <laughs> yeah, good. So she chased me around Broadie for about six months. And she finally caught me. But it's it's probably a, not sad, but she was very um, smart at school. And I think that's where Bonnie gets it from. But she was forced to leave school and she was, as soon as she turned 15, her old man said, get out and get a job, and which was pretty sad because she could have went on and, you know, studied if she was allowed to. So in them times, like I couldn't wait to get – I was probably a bit like that. I couldn't wait to get out of school. I hated school. and But she was pretty um, clever and but was never allowed to really – let that blossom, you know. She was more or less forced to leave school, which is a bit sad, really. But and thank goodness Bonnie is academic because if you've seen her dance or play any kind of sport, yeah. you realise that, um, thank goodness, she yeah. wasn't making a living out of that. I tried to make a tennis player out of it <laughs> to no avail, Phil, to no tell, avail. Tell, tell us about brother-sister relationship then, Dane, y you and Bonnie. Yeah, no, we're all right. Um, we've got kids about 14 hours apart now. Um which was a surprise to all of us. Um, but, yeah, like we had a, a normal brother-sister relationship going on. We hated each other and loved each other all at the same time. We used to punch on all the time, which in today's day and age probably I'll probably get arrested for saying that. But, um, yeah, we used to blow a fair bit back then, but we're, two, we're about 18 months apart, are we? Two? Yeah, so um, I'm the oldest. So growing up, um, we just had a well, – we're just a very, very normal family. White picket fence, dog, two kids. Boy, like we just – had a normal family. Didn't we weren't millionaires, but we weren't poor. We never really wanted for anything. We were just a middle class, normal, yeah. you know, suburban family, basically. Did Bonnie stargaze at all as you marched your way through AFL football? Uh, I, I don't think so. She probably got. I don't know. She probably resented the fact that I was probably the favourite for a while there <laughs> yeah. since when I got drafted. Um, everyone, no one, went, you know, obviously when someone gets drafted in the family. The whole family going, well, you know, want to watch you play footy, which is understandable. But so, so Bonnie, well, let's be candid. Bonnie missed out. She she got <laughs> yeah, yeah, she put behind the mushroom. Yeah, yeah, she got the raw end of the stick there for a little bit. Um, it probably evened out a little bit now. But mind you, she come a lot um, to the to the footy. But um, I think Mum banned her because she used to get she used to get on the drink too much at the footy. Um, so she wasn't allowed. They didn't watch a lit one second of the footy. They used to sit in the oh, they're in the, the, the super in the corporate area yeah, on, the corporate. on the drink. Yeah, yeah. so um, I'm not sure. Um, very social, Phil. Yeah, dad, dad, dad's, no. dad wouldn't have no, dad wanted nothing to do with them because they were just too busy chirping and gossiping. And dad would sit there with his headphones in, trying to watch the footy, and they're all uh, they're all gas bagging down the back there. So let's take us to your first game. You're, you're drafted. Give me the year. It's uh, 2002. End of 01. 01. End of 01. Yeah. Your first games are in 2002. What's it like? First game was in 03, so just wasn't quite good enough to... You're talking about AFL or VFL? Yeah, yeah, AFL. AFL. Yeah, so but this was back in the day where if you started on the bench, you know, you played five minutes a quarter. And I didn't know I was playing until I got to the ground. I thought I was emergency and, you know, uh, yeah, you walk in and all the... Like jumpers are out, like in your in the lockers, and mine was there. And I was like, "Well, what's going on here?" And they they said you're playing, so I had to ring them. Mum, dad, that from I played it. Eddie had round eight against the Bulldogs. Um, I think it was, 
uh, Presti got hurt, so I come in. Um, and when I played three games there, he was in and out. Um, so I didn't really have time. Not like I was told on the Monday, you're playing this week. So not like I had time to, um, you know, think about it. And I wasn't – I'm not much of a, a worrier or I don't get too stressed anyway. So I'm not sure how it would have been. But I was like, well, I've got two hours. Rang them and away we went. So I'm sat on the bench, come on for, for Bucks. I'm on my first kick, I caught Luke Darcy holding the ball out of the, out of a ruck and then kicked it, kicked it to Bucks, I think. Um, and that was it. I was, it was over like that. And then away we went. I got dropped the next week and then come in a few weeks later. And you had the premiership with Willie, of course, in 2003, but it was yeah. a mainly Collingwood side. When did you start feeling comfortable and thinking, yeah, I'm going to have a career, I can manage this, I'm good enough? Um, probably not for a very, very long time. Probably about 2009, 10. You know, obviously, I probably didn't value being on an AFL list as much as others did when I first got drafted. Um, I thought playing AFL was all about going out getting on the drink and getting drink cards and doing your best on a Saturday night, let alone playing footy. And Is that what you were doing? Yep, absolutely. Um, moved straight out of home. Uh, I thought, man, my first contract was 36000 bucks. Felt like a million to me. Um, spent every cent I had as soon as I got it. Was going out, you know, Thursday night, Friday night, playing Williamstown Reserves on the Saturday, then going out Saturday night, Sunday night. Um, so I was going nowhere, basically, as a footballer and then got arrested End of 02 or end of 2003, I think it was. and That was the incident in the city. Yeah, yeah. And then that was basically the turning point. I wouldn't say I got put on a on the right path, so I put on a right-her path on what I was on. So for that, I was – and I always had like one-year deals, two-year deals. So um, a bit like what Dad said before, I, I just got better every single year. So it was a slow burn for me. So, you know, 06 was probably when I started to play – most games um, in 07 uh, 07 08 I won my first best and fairest and even yeah. then you still don't feel safe just because of how, how I come through I was pick 58 you know I wasn't a first first round draftee I'll just uh, I'll just pause there Dane because you've got us close up to the premiership and I just want to just step in and ask Bill what role were you playing Bill you, if you're seeing Dane not quite gravitating to the right path in the early period were you interceding were you talking to your son I was probably yelling at him, Phil, at that stage. I was, um, when he first, yeah, the first, especially the first year, I wasn't happy with what was going on. I, you know, he wasn't, yeah, he wasn't doing the right thing. Um, but having said that, you look back and you think it's very, very difficult when a kid who 18 months prior is playing with West Minos under 16s. He gets drafted, not thinking he's probably going to get drafted. So he's 17 years of age. He's thrust into Collingwood, never really done a pre-season in his life. And all of a sudden he's got to do a pre-season in an AFL club. That's a big, um, a big step. And every kid matures differently. So he definitely wasn't ready for it. No way was he. So you brought a wealth of uh, knowledge to the situation of where Dane was at, and it's worth uh, noting, Dane, I think, that your old man, when he was at Williamstown in that period after leaving Port Melbourne, trained like a demon, didn't you? Well, yeah, I had something to, to prove. So, to, stay, yeah. to stay fit enough yeah, to, yeah, to, to do play. what you did in the 90 grand final. Yeah. So you had some history that you could bring to bear on Dane, I suppose, but you were very respectful about the circumstances he faced. Well, I probably or were you more... Growly? I wasn't happy, and I probably had a 
because you at that stage you're still living at home. Oh yeah. So I could see what he was doing. He was getting home late at like early in the morning, and he had to go to training and blah blah blah. So I knew he wasn't preparing properly for what he was supposed to be doing. Did you fall out? Oh, he fell out of the house and went and lived <laughs> with his mates because yeah. even his mum wasn't happy either yeah. with what was going on. So in the end, he made the decision. He was old enough to make his own decisions. He moved out of home. So, yeah, but look, it took him probably three years to realise what was required if you wanted to stay in that system. So you then, but you win a best and fairest at Collingwood, 208? Eight, yeah. I mean, you won one at Willie too now. Yeah, best, he won the Willie one too. Yeah, best 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 first year player. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. But you go and win uh, that big award at Collingwood. You know, won by so many famous yeah. characters over the journey. So what what had happened, Dane? Um, oh, a bit of everything. Um, I was lucky that I probably got kept on the list because Collingwood, oh two oh three bottomed out. And as you know, you got to play the kids when you bottom out. Which you know, you know. It's sometimes people think the AFL is a development league where, you know, you should be playing your best players all the time. But uh, if you get over 30 and you go to the bottom, you're out. So I was lucky. I kept on mixing something in me which no one else had seen in me. Um, so he kept on to me. And then I just gradually developed and got better. And, you know, Mick played me, you know, down back to learn how to play when the ball's coming at me and I've got to learn how to use my body they played me up forward to learn how to go and get the ball and then obviously whether he had it in mind to play me in the midfield to that's where he thought I was going to play the rest of my career so I learned all the three facets of the game um, and then yeah I just I got better I got more confidence in my body and like that's it with the pre-seasons you know it takes four five six years of, of solid pre-seasons under your belt especially if you're going to play in the midfield um, to, to have you know and it's a bit different about that. Oh, one, like you just you get thrown in sink or swim. Where now my kids are doing preseason at fifteen. Like day cost, everyone, all these young kids get told they're going to play AFL from fourteen, fifteen. So they're all diet, they have dietitians, they're doing weights. And I was just a kid that wanted playing footy at West End, just you know eating McDonald's and just going out to parties on Saturday night, yeah. and just doing my thing. Did the old weights, but wasn't a big rap for weights. So um, it's, it's fascinating because that's a bit of the old game too that Bill and I knew. Also, you know, in in the days that we went to football, like I trained hard. I, I was a serious trainer, but a lot of blokes around me, you know, weren't quite like that. You know, we didn't. We turned up in February for training. Yeah. But Bill, just on coaches, you had uh, Norm Brown, a Victorian State player, played with Fitzroy. You had Peter McKenna. Mm-hmm. The champion goal kicker, and you had Gary Bryce, a, a teacher who took you to three premierships. Uh, how important was coaching in that moment in time to your career? Coaching was a lot different then, Phil, mm. than what it is, especially what it is now, mate. We used to do circle work all night, um, one way and then the, the other way. But yeah. what about at the personal level? Uh, Gary Bryce, distinctive or not? Yeah, he was, yeah, obviously. I didn't really have a relationship with Norm Brown. Mm. Um, Peter McKenna, he was a ripping bloke, still is, didn't want to coach, got sort of forced into it, only did it for one year, but just a, a ripping bloke. Gary Bryce was obviously a lot different, yeah. Um, Tactical? Yeah, all that sort of stuff. Understood just, people, yeah, didn't yeah. he? But he was one that, once the game started, he used to just 
which is just flicking his head, and he'd be a lunatic as well, like yeah, yelling and screaming. And but he'd, yeah, of course, it, to make the point, he'd had an AFL career. Yeah, I think he yeah. played over 150 games, oh, didn't yeah, he, yeah, with yeah. the Swans? Yeah. So, Dane, coming to your situation now, you've got Mick Malthouse. It's a different era. He's the full-time coach. He's a really yeah. serious man about football. He's got history. What did he do to you? <clears throat> he yelled at me a lot. <laughs> That's what he did. Uh, oh, mate, he moulded me. You know, apart from that, he's clearly the, the guy that had the biggest influence on my career. Um, he seen something in me that no one else did um, and moulded me into the player, whether you think I was good or not, moulded me into the, the player I was. Um, he was... Mick was also flipped a switch. He could get he he would lose his marbles, um, you know, quarter time, half time in the box. He, I don't remember. I reckon he, I don't reckon he remembers half the shit he said. He just he just went into a trance. But um, Mick used to come, he used to run out. He get the run out run out to me. My first sort of 30, 40 games said, if you can't play a look of football, at least look like one and pull your socks up. Maybe <laughs> well, the runner came out three or four times a game and made me pull my socks up. Um, because if you can't play like one, at least look like one. Uh, regularly, as I was walking out the race, pull your bloody socks up, Dane. So I have to do that. But now Mick was awesome for my career, and he was, uh, you know, a, a manager of men too, and you know, wasn't all you know one size fits all for AFL players. He understood that different people needed different things, and some people he could handle a bake. Not sure Mick could probably coach North Melbourne. You have to apologise, you know, every Monday for the way he spoke to us. But um, was he, he scary? Yeah, early on. Yeah, absolutely. You didn't want to be on his wrong side. You know, many times he'd come out. Some of the sprays of a I don't know what kind of rating this podcast has, Phil. But um, I'm probably not sure I can uh, relay him here. But well, relay them. We can edit. I <laughs> know <laughs> uh, oh, he was um, certainly wasn't very politically correct, which you can't say. In, you know. He couldn't get away with half the shit he said now. Well, I'll be fine with it, but if it got into the, the media's hands, he'd be in a bit of trouble. But now Mick um, would knew the knew the people he could spray, knew the people he needed to, to give a cuddle to. You know, so Benny Johnson was a big example. If we got beat, he'd go, find me three clips on Ben Johnson and just rip into him. Told me I was, why any, in meetings, why I don't know why anyone would like wants to play with you, Dane, you're killing your teammates. Like... All kind, Sorry, so pause, all kinds of things. pause for me for a second. Mick Malthouse said to you that? Yeah, yeah. Can you just repeat it? Oh, he said, I don't know why anyone would want to play with you, Dane. You're killing your teammates. And uh, what were you doing that was killing your no, teammates? Are you talking you were selfish or something? Yeah, I'm not, I didn't chase someone, uh, which wasn't a strong point in my game field, to be honest. But yeah. I think it was against Carl and I, some, I think the bloke was playing on me, kicked the goal, and I must have been ball watching or something, and I went over the back, which is what I did a fair bit, mate. But, you know, he was... Yeah, sometimes it was pretty funny sometimes. So like he'd come in and he'd go off, like halftime would be down, he'd be go through everyone, bacon everyone would be going, be fucking useless today. You've had 17, you're going all right. <laughs> like, you know, so he wouldn't even know. He'd, be, he'd bake me and he'd look at the stuff and go, you've had 17, all right, you're going okay. Like, so he wouldn't even know. Like, um, Well, well, it's it's bizarre because I'm thinking of all the coaching I did uh, nine years at Coburg. When we, when we won the 88-89 grand final, I never missed a beat in terms of losing my cool, not once, but they were great sides. And yet... To my last couple of years, 91, 92, I reckon I growled a lot more because there were things that just so frustrated me. If I could wind back the clock, I'd wished I hadn't growled as much. Uh, but that's football, isn't yeah, it? No, it's bizarre. Absolutely. No, I, I don't want to take it back. And like Anzac days, Mick would read out letters and, you know, you'd have 22 blokes with tears in their eyes walking out just before Anzac, you know, before a game, but, you know, the old run through the door, not open it. So, you know, 
that's the way I, I needed to be bizarre kind of, all right, well, fuck you, Mick. I'll show you that yeah. I can go out here and do it. So that's kind of what I wear. Some people would go into their shell now and be like, oh, well, he's yelling at me. I'm just going to just go into my shell and not show him anything. But he knew that, all right, that prick, that prick my needle, you know, that, that hit me. I was like, right, oh, well, I'll show you that, um, yeah. you, you know, I'll show you. So that's kind of what we did. But, um, you know, he, he was awesome for me. Um, yeah. Great insights. So I'm going to come back to you about the 210 grand final premiership. But, but as an intro to that, Bill, you played in five premierships, big crowds, all of them. You know, by VFA standards, you're talking 30,000 against Dandenong in 76 and yeah. Princess Park was full in 1990. Was there one grand final that you look back at and you love more than the other? I know kicking the goal in 1990 to put Williamstown ahead was magical, but t take us to one of the grand finals. Obviously, the, the Willie one was, you know, that's something probably you... You're never going to repeat you're, yeah, that. Yeah, when so, you're so growing up, that's things... But at Port, I played in four at Port, probably the 81... Um, no, it wasn't 81, it was 82. Uh, oh, when you beat Preston under yeah, Ray Shaw. Yeah, 81 we flogged Preston. Preston, yes, yeah. under um, Harold so, Martin. Yeah, so 82 was, we were sort of, we'd been up, we are on our way down and we we got that one, so yeah. That was a stunning victory because I remember the year well, you know, of course I was playing, Preston just should have won the yeah, premiership by, yeah. by a street, so that was an astounding win. You were always cool as a cucumber in every game that I ever played against you in and in grand finals. Where did that come from? I don't know, Phil, I suppose I'm a bit like Dan. I didn't let things worry me all that much, just, you know... Whether it was a grand final or just the first game of the year, I didn't really, yeah, I didn't let it worry me. I didn't really get nervous before games or all that sort of stuff. I wasn't a yeller, a yeller or a screamer before the game. Some blokes, you know, want to run through you and bump you and all that crap. I was just sort of sit on the side on my own and keep away from all that stuff. So, yeah, I didn't really... One game was, if it was a grand final, it didn't really worry me. Bill Swan, I understand why you were so relaxed pulling up the socks in the Port Melbourne rooms. But just think about the opposition. We went down there, you had massive crowds. They were loud and aggressive when they ran onto the ground at the breaks. And we heard all these stories about painters and dockers and wharfies, hundreds of them being in the crowd. Were there lots of painters and dockers and wharfies supporting your mob? Uh, yes, Phil, there was. In them days, they used to come every week, and I think there was a fair bit of betting that went on in the um, with the footy in them days, so they didn't mind to have a bet on the footy as well, Phil. I'm well aware of the betting too, because our president in the 80s, Alan Tripp, used to bet. And I, I went down to a pub one time, I reckon it was 86, and I met... A couple of blokes from Port Melbourne who'd laid bets and I also shook hands with a bloke called Spider Holman. Now he was a painter and docker, wasn't he? He was, Phil, yes. He was heavily involved in the footy club. He was betting on the footy as well. I knew him, Phil, but not, you know, just to sort of say hello to and if he said hello, I'd make sure I'd always say hello as well. And so he's the kind of bloke you made sure you said hello to? Exactly, Phil. You always <laughs> want to keep on, keep on the right side of them. Yes, he had a certain presence about him, Bill, when I met him that day in the Railway Hotel. 
1986. But I must say, I did relax a little when he told me he liked the way I played football. Wonder he didn't try and recruit you to Port. Uh, well, <laughs> there was a story of Port Melbourne trying to recruit me, uh, and there was a story that it was going to be the Swan Cleary Exchange. But we'll leave that for another time. But tell me, Bill, is it true that the Painters and Dockers were major sponsors of Port Melbourne in the mid eighties? I don't know whether they were major sponsor, but they used to do a lot of work around the club. One one year they renovated the social club. They used to um, sponsor players and things like that, yeah. Well, what about that story I heard? Uh, the painters and dockers were a bit keen to have an influence over picking of the team. <laughs> I tried to do that one, one year, Phil. And, uh, <laughs> it's, so that's a true I'll, story, I'll, is it? It is true, Phil, and I'll give the, I'll give the, I'll give the coach of the day a lot of credit because he stood firm and picked, picked who we thought deserved the game. <laughs> what uh, coach would yeah, that have been? Uh, that was the great George Allenfield. Well, it's funny. I played against George. I could imagine him telling someone to piss off. Yeah, it was quite daunting. But anyway, um, it only happened the once, thank goodness. You had 40 years on the docks. What was it like to be playing at Port Melbourne and working on the docks at the same time? You must have come across so many fascinating moments and interesting people. I don't know how more people weren't killed on the wharf in them days. Because half the, half the people on the job were drunk. Sleeping on the job in them days was very, very common. We had some funny, very funny times at work. Because I worked with my dad. He got me the job in that terminal. So I worked with him. So we had some funny, especially on a... Friday or Saturday night, funny times. Because I was in the maintenance, I used to fix the machines, you know, sometimes have to go in for smashing something up that I'd have to fix. <laughs> Let's go to the big Patrick's dispute of about 1998. Uh, I was invited down to the docks with Lee Hubbard from Trades Hall and with the former Premier of the state, John Kane to meet workers and it was a really moving moment because we were all opposed to what Patrick's were doing. What was it like to be on the docks during that incredible uh, lockout? It was a really interesting time, Phil, because we were never really thought of well by the general public because, you know, wharfy, lazy, earn good money and all that sort of stuff. So, but during that Patrick's dispute, we won over the community and I think that went a long way to um, helping us win that dispute. Because what Patrick did, Phil, they just sacked their whole workforce because they were a member of a union. So it was a very interesting time. And again, there were some funny times on the picket line back in them days. Some of the things that we used to get up to, my God. You were giving it to what workers and unionists call scab labour. Yeah, yeah, there was a lot of... Um, shouting at calling people scabs and giving it to the uh, security guards and all that sort of stuff. So it was quite funny, actually, to be honest. Well, I'll tell you something funny, Bill. Who would believe that six years after you started on the wharf, I'd be wandering up King Street early in the morning after celebrating my 200th game at a nightclub not far from where you were working when a bloke driving home from night shift on the wharf would wind down his window and say, hey, Phil, do you need a lift home? 
you know who that bloke was? That was me, Phil. Yeah, I uh, I must have. Um, I don't know what happened there. I must have must have snuck away from work early that night. Um, so, so you left to refund the boss for the probably three or four hours that you pinched off him. Oh, we used to do that every second night, Phil. But um, <laughs> yeah, I seen you staggering staggering up the street, so I felt a bit sorry for you, Phil. So I thought I'll um, call over and give you a lift home. You couldn't script that, could you? No, no. <laughs> I mean, no, how, how bizarre if all of these years of playing against each other and the one night, my 200th game, I'm in King Street and Bill Swan is driving past. He's left his, He's left early from work and, and I'm out too, later than I should have been at 34 years of age. <laughs> yeah, it's quite some ironic, isn't it, Phil? I think it was meant to be. But, Bill, yeah. it's been fantastic in this first half of the podcast, Cleary Independent, to talk to you and your son, Dane. And I know he's listened as we've talked about your days on the docks, but he's going to start up part two of this podcast talking about the 2010 Premiership with Collingwood. So we'll move on to that. Before we do that, however... I should say to younger listeners who haven't heard about the painters and dockers, try Googling the names of the following one-time members of the painters and dockers. Pat Shannon, shot dead in Druid's Hotel in 1973, on the orders of Billy the Texan Longley. Jack Putty Nose Nichols, found dead in his car in 1981 en route to give evidence to the politically motivated Royal Commission into the Painters and Dockers. Brian Kane, shot dead in the Quarry Hotel in Brunswick in 1982. And Lewis Moran, shot dead in the Brunswick Club in Sydney Road, Brunswick in 2004. Some of these men featured in the Underbelly books and TV series. And Lewis Moran, of course, was a regular at Coburg Games between 1985 and 1988.